It's the Scott Thompson Show. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, could COVID-19 lead us to an early election? Uh, Green Party leader Elizabeth May says the oil industry is dead. Find me an expert that agrees with her. And COVID Elvis is entertaining Hamiltonians from his van, complete with costume. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Interesting commentary coming out as we head down the backside of the COVID-19 curve. Uh, obviously, on the way up, it's about safety. It's about security. It's about making sure our healthcare system is not overwhelmed. Obviously, that is still the number one concern. However, as we go back down and we start talking about reopenings and, and such and, and gradual, uh, I guess a gradual sense of normalcy, whatever we can have here, uh, there's also uh, questions being asked uh, in, in regard to China, the World Health Organization. Uh, and, and now an interesting, uh, another interesting political angle has come out of this, and I believe it was Thomas Mulcair, uh, former NDP leader, that floated this. But John Iveson is a great column on this in the National Post today. Why the idea of Trudeau calling a snap election is not so far-fetched. One day after the COVID crisis, voters will be gripped with the burning desire to turf the PM. Wouldn't Trudeau like to secure another majority before that day? From the National Pro, uh, Post, let's bring in John Iveson. John, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. This is certainly a very interesting idea. Do you think how much do you think this is being talked about in the back rooms of Ottawa? I think that uh, well, that I, some of these strategy guys never switch off. So even in the middle of the the COVID uh, crisis, some of the uh, people in the prime minister's office are thinking, well, you know, how are we going to turn this to our political advantage? That sounds a bit crass, but um, you know, they're aware of the fact that uh, you know, for example, I cited in Italy. Uh, the prime minister there was had the, the approval of 94% of Italians at the height of the crisis. That support is now melting away as it, as the health emergency turns into an economic crisis. Um, the same in France, Macron, the prime minister or the president there, is now getting criticised, whereas before he was at, in, uh, being he- held in very high regard. But we were, we're seeing it in Canada. A lot of uh, provincial premiers have never been as popular. Justin Trudeau has never been as popular. There was a poll this week that suggested the Liberals are at 44% support, the Conservatives 25% support. Um, you know, Trudeau in 2015, when he first got elected, was only at 39%. So, you know, people rally around when there's a crisis. Once that crisis passes or, or fades a little bit, you know, I think the politicians start to worry that uh, all of their good deeds are forgotten. Uh, that being said, the Conservative Party still does not have uh, a new official lead, uh, leader yet. Thomas Mulcair was uh, asked to explain himself again in the media about all of this, and he said, you know, my timeline was up to 18 months. That's still uh, quite a ways away, uh, you know, I guess. And is there any advantage to that? I mean, by 18 months, will that window have closed? How 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 long will that window stay open? Well, it's not clear. I mean, predicting anything right now is... is uh nigh on impossible but i mean i think what we can say is that there's not going to be an election tomorrow or next week or next month because we've still got a a health emergency and people can't get around so that's not on the cards um but as the the health crisis turns into an economic crunch um the government of the day is going to have to address it it's going to have to think about increasing revenues i.e increasing taxes at some point 
there's going to be an audit of some of the, the massive amounts of government aid that have been handed out. I mean, it seems inevitable that there will be some misspending and some scandals related to it. At some point, the Conservatives are going to get their act together. Um, doesn't look like it's going to be any time soon, but at some point they will. I think Trudeau's weighing all of these things and thinking, well, you know, it's not going to be next week or next month, but but it's possible it could be late late fall. More likely, it could be early spring next year. Hmm. Uh, so obviously, a chatter of the Prime Minister's office talking about this and strategizers and such. What about the opposition? What about the Conservatives? Uh, because again, their uh, leadership campaign was was in full swing when obviously uh, when obviously COVID nineteen uh, brought that to a grinding halt. How does this change their strategy? But on the other hand, I guess they were looking for this. How can they be ready? What What are the Conservatives thinking about this rumor? Well, I haven't talked to a lot of Conservatives, but I, I think that they're too fixated on their own leadership race right now. Um, you know, the, the worry, I would think, for, a, for, for Conservatives is that you get, uh, they get carried away with their own rhetoric. And we've seen this down the years where opposition le- leaders almost dare prime ministers to call elections. Uh, we saw Stockwell Day do it with Gretchen. We saw Ignatieff do it with, with Stephen Harper. Uh, we saw Stefan Dion do it with Stephen Harper. You know, the Prime Minister of the day then looks at the uh, at the opinion polling, and if it's favourable to him, then he says, OK, I'll oblige you. And I think if whoever wins this contest comes out and, and does what Peter McKay, who's the favourite, he's already said, well, we should have a, an, uh, an election in the fall. You've got to be careful what you wish for, because if we have an election in the fall right now, they're going to get creamed. Does this speed up the Conservative election leadership in any way? Well, they'd, they'd uh, put a new date on it for the end of August. It was originally meant to be right. the end of June. I don't think. But we really it. haven't heard too much. We really haven't heard too much of uh, the two front runners during all of this. When will we still? When will we start to see the campaign come into effect? And when will we start to see that uh, restart and more from these leaders that are trying well, for the leadership? Well, there's four people left in that race: Peter McKay. Erin O'Toole, the former cabinet minister, uh, Leslyn Lewis, who's a, an unknown, unknown to most people, uh, lawyer from Toronto, and uh, Derek Sloan, who's a, a rookie MP. The latter two are generally socially conservative and are not likely to make it onto the final ballot. The way this thing works is that if there's four of them, after the first ballot, one falls off the ballot and, and their support goes to other candidates. Um, you know, it's conceivable that that if Sloan's first to drop off, his support might go to Lewis. But if Lewis is next, the support will go to, it's not clear where it'll go. It could go either uh, to uh, McKay or O'Toole. Now, the problem is, for both of those guys, they're not naturally socially conservative, but they're having to sound as if they are. And as they do that, while they may win uh, lower ballot support from committed conservatives, they're likely to alienate more mainstream voters. So they're sounding a bit discordant to me, to my ears anyway. They're sounding discordant with what, where the rest of the Canadian political world is. And it means that when, they, when one or other, and it seems likely to me it's going to be either McKay or O'Toole, when one or other is elected, they're going to have one hand tied behind their back because they're going to have said so many things that to get elected as leader that will then be cast back at them by the Liberals that winning that mainstream support in places like southern Ontario, um, 
the lower mainland of British Columbia, parts of Quebec. I think it's going to be very hard for, for the next Conservative leader. I think they're going to be pushing heavy stones uphill for quite a while. Uh, as you mentioned, liberals uh, doing well, as most leaders do during uh, times of crisis like this. Uh, and, and we're talking about striking when the iron's hot. On the other hand, the conservatives seem to be shooting themselves in the foot. You brought up uh, MP Derek Sloan, who's also a leadership candidate, uh, and, and said some uh, disparaging remarks against Dr. Tam. Uh, again, the Conservative Party seems to be in shambles as the Liberals uh, have more momentum. How, how do they how do they turn this around, and and are they wasting precious time here? Well, I think it's very hard to turn it around right now. I mean, I think once it was clear that Andrew Scheer was not going to be the leader, that he should have been replaced with an interim leader. He yeah. could then be a more uh, credible voice at uh, at hitting back at some of these things. You know, for example, um, Scheer did not come out and say that uh, that Derek Sloan should apologise for the comments he made about Theresa Tam, when I think he should yeah. have done. It took him about mm-hmm. 10 days to actually get round, come round to that point, by which point it was too late. And I think a lot of um, mainstream Canadians would have looked askance. Even a lot of Conservatives looked, you know, why are we being portrayed as heartless, inept, um, uh, extremists in many cases uh, when the leader should be is the custodian of the brand and should have come out and, and been a little bit more moderate in some of these areas so I think that, that but it's too late I mean there's no point in appointing a, an interim leader now when you've got a, mm. a leadership contest in two or three months uh, we remember when Ronna Ambrose was interim leader and she talked about presenting a kinder, gentler uh, party uh, as as both parties seem to be going, main parties seem to be going to the opposite extremes. Uh, she talked about bringing the party to the center. She talked about a kinder, gentler party. Have we lost that so far? I mean, I, I don't seem to see that anymore. Well, I think that's part of the problem with uh, the positions that, O'Toole and McKay are taking to win the leadership. They seem to have departed from this idea of uh, progressive conservatism, which I think both of them have subscribed to at various times in their careers. But uh, yet now they seem to have doubled down on a, on a harder message aimed at winning over the the uh, more fringe L, uh, members of, of the base. So, you know, it remains to be seen whether they change the tune once elected leader. You know, I think either one of them has the capacity to to bring this party to to make it a more uh, mainstream centre right party that could appeal to uh, the people who voted Liberal in the last election once they get uh, fed up of Justin Trudeau. And you know, people will get fed up with Justin Trudeau. It's it's a matter of time. We've seen it. Uh, in every jurisdiction that I've been watching the last 30 years, that eventually uh, the, the idiosyncrasies that uh, entertain people at one point become tiresome and people want to change the leader. And at some point, they will want to change to a conservative leader. That's what's happened throughout Canada's history. But that leader has to speak for Canada and, and speak with a voice that Canadians recognize. How difficult will it be, not only for our Prime Minister, but other leaders, but let's, I guess, stay specific to the Prime Minister, how difficult is it going to be to manage the country coming out of COVID-19, especially when uh, you think about the oil industry, uh, their their stance on climate change and such? Uh, How are they going to balance this? Well, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think that's why the, the election speculation has 
has uh, started to bubble because people realise that uh, whoever is Prime Minister is going to have to make some unpalatable choices. I mean, we're going to have... We're already at $145 billion worth uh, of expenditure on direct COVID measures. You know, the, uh, the Parliamentary Budget Officer has predicted uh, a deficit this year of $252 billion. Uh, that's 12% of Canada's GDP. You know, th- these are numbers that we didn't even see in, in a single year during the Great Depression. There's only a certain number of ways that you can you can get your way out of that. You can grow out of it if your productivity increases, um, as we did after the Second World War. But, you know, post-Second World War in the 50s and 60s, we were seeing annual growth rates of, you know, nearly 6% every year. Um, it averaged about 5.7% for those 20 years. We're never going to see growth rates of that magnitude in the next little while. So what else can you do? Well, you can reduce spending. Well, this is not a government that is prone to cutting spending, although you'd hope that it would prune back a lot of the uh, the uh, temporary emergency benefit measures that it's taken. So the only other rev- route is to increase revenue. And you do that by increasing taxes. And so, you know, if you put two or three points in the GST, that, that helps uh, you bring come back towards uh, balancing a budget, but it doesn't do anything for your popularity. So hence, mm. we come back to the starting point. This is perhaps why Justin Trudeau may want to have an election before he has to start doing these things. I uh, can't let you go, John Iveson. John Iveson from the National Post is with us. I, I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on uh, many talking about uh, Elizabeth May's comments, uh, former leader or leader, I guess, of the Green Party, uh, coming out and saying basically the oil industry is dead. Uh, we've been talking about this forever, and every expert I've talked to has said this transition is 20 to 50 years uh, in front of us. Uh, to his credit, Justin Trudeau came out at his press conference today and said, no, I do not agree with that. Uh, what does that, is that statement irresponsible? Well, she's the leader of the Green Party. Let's face it. I mean, what mm-hmm. we expected is it's, uh, this is her, her raison d'etre is to transition to, to green energy. Um, it's her biggest issue, and it does not surprise me that she would say that. The reality is, well, you know, I mean, taking advantage of the taking advantage of this time where there'll be stimulus and making a transition is one thing, but to come right out and say that's it, it's dead. I mean, you know, I think this is the extreme positions that are people are becoming very confused about and, and don't necessarily want to hear. They want to hear a balanced and realistic approach. To say the oil industry is dead is that too much? Yeah, I, well, I think it's it's an extreme position, but you know, the Green Party is an extreme party when it comes to the yeah. environment. I mean, she would, she talks about a just transition. I mean, she is still talking about a transition and the, the government having a role in uh, um, providing jobs or income for people who are displaced. But, you know, I mean, it's it's Canada's largest export industry by uh, some degrees. I mean, it's, it's uh, I think, two or three times as big as the, the car industry when it comes to the amount of exports. You know, there are half a million Canadians employed in this industry. It is not going away. Demand for for oil is set to increase for the next 15 years. So it's this is not a, an industry that is that is necessarily going away. But in Canada, it has problems. I mean, you, the, the Saudis can extract oil for somewhere around three dollars a barrel. It's in Canada, it's somewhere around mid twenties. So, you know, when it comes to the simple economics of it, Canada has a fight in its hands.
Does this extreme, and I'm going to keep going on this, John, for my last question, does this extreme view help or hurt this cause? Because, again, I think most Canadians are concerned about this, but on the other hand, we've just seen consumption go down through technology. Uh, are these Armageddon views working now? Well, I think this, the fact that this has got a lot of traction, I think it's, it surprised Liz May. It surprised me somewhat. I mean, given the source of the, the comment, it shouldn't be that uh, surprising that um, that she said it. But, yeah, I mean, I think people at the moment are very sensitive to economic disruption, people losing their jobs. Uh, you know, when you say something like that, the implications are, are, are massive. I mean, one thing that a lot, not a lot of people talk about is that the Canadian banks have got massive exposure to the oil sands. The oil sands go bust. Our banking systems in, in disarray. So, you know, the, the, the ripple effects would go right through our economy. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the petroleum producers talked about us returning to some kind of Amish lifestyle, uh, you know, horses pulling around cars and stuff like that. So, you know, you've got to think about what, what you're saying as a politician. There is a responsibility. And, the, and saying that the oil industry is dead suggests that half a million Canadians should be thrown out of work. And, you know, I mean, using the Amish comparison, I mean, I don't see how that excites any Canadian. I mean, we're a country built on progress. And, you know, for example, as I mentioned with the telecommuting and, and, and such that we've experienced through COVID-19, that has, in some cases where it's worked well, made people's lives easier. That, to me, is the secret behind the environmental movement, not coming up with these draconian uh, statements like Elizabeth May is. I mean, uh, to me, this just turns people off the fight uh, as something that's being impossible and too extreme. Whereas, you know, we've seen with technology over this past eight weeks that people may, hey, you know what, uh, this is better than commuting into Toronto every single well, day. And the, the oil industry, to its credit, has reduced the uh, the intensity of a barrel of oil, the amount of carbon that's in it, by several degrees. I mean, it's, it's the technology is being applied, you know, as we speak. And, and the oil industry will also point out that if you don't get your oil, it, there's still a, a rising demand for oil. So if you don't get your oil from Canada, you're getting it from somewhere else. Yeah. And generally, you're getting it from despotic regimes like Saudi Arabia, like Russia, like Venezuela. So is that what you want? John Iveson has been with us, a columnist with the National Post. His latest, Why the Idea of Trudeau Calling a Snap Election is Not So Far-Fetched. John, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You be well. Thanks, Scott. We've been talking uh, over the last several weeks of, of how we have reacted to uh, COVID-19 and, more importantly, how businesses have. And, you know, some have uh, have literally collapsed. Others, this has become an opportunity for. Uh, others just trying to get by by coming up with some uh, ingenious ideas to, to, to keep their business somehow running. Uh, another great idea, we've certainly seen home delivery of groceries, but what about a supermarket on wheels? Picture a ice cream truck of sort, perhaps bigger, but everything's there. You open up the side and it's a shelf like a grocery store. It's become a reality in Toronto where Grocery Neighbor has popped up. To talk more about all of this, Frank Sinopoli is with us, Grocery Neighbor, and is on the line with us now. Frank, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hope you're doing well. Hi, thanks for having me. appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, so tell us, explain to us what Grocery Neighbor is all about. 
Grocery Neighbors, uh, essentially what you described, it's a grocery store on wheels. It's uh, the first time where you'll see an actual grocery store roll into your neighborhood and you'll be able to pass through it, entering through the back and exiting through the front, um, giving you that grocery store experience um, while providing a new form of convenience. So this is, because I'm sort of picturing something where you come from the outside, but this is something you actually walk through. Yeah, you actually pass through it. So it was kind of inspired by the social distancing that's happening right now. And the idea was you would enter through the back through one lane. Think of like um, circuit training, how you kind of mm-hmm. go through a course to complete everything. It's the same yep. concept here. You pass through the truck. You go one direction. Therefore, nobody's ever passing by you. There's somebody maybe in front of you. There's somebody maybe behind you, but nobody passing by you. Um, and then you exit the other end. So you get everything done basically um, in one lane. Wow. Uh, where, when did you think of this? How, uh, t- talk about even the turnaround here. How, how did you, is this something you just came up with for COVID-19? Yeah, so it's been, uh, you know, COVID-19 certainly inspired it um, because of the social distancing, the awkwardness of going to the grocery stores. But when I was really thinking about it just in general, I mean, if you have kids, you know how challenging it is sometimes to pack them up and mm. run to the grocery store. Whereas now, if it's sitting in front of your driveway, perhaps that chore becomes a lot easier. So, you know, it, and my background, I'm from transportation, but also grocery. So it was an amalgamation of some experience, I guess, in history. Now, tell us about these trucks, uh, Frank. How big are they? What do they? What would they have in them? So there'll be a 53-foot truck. So it's a good, de- decent-sized um, space. So this is and like a tractor-trailer. It, it absolutely is a tractor-trailer. And we've just converted them into grocery stores, giving you enough square footage to fit in the essentials. Now, you know, so we're not going to be a Me Too store. You're not going to go in there and find, you know, rolls of paper towel and things yeah. like that. Think of more of the fresh, the local, the meats, the produce, specialty items, special cheeses, things like that. What about cost for all of this, Frank? It seems like it would be an expensive service to run. You, you would think so, but because the overhead on running the actual, let's call it quote-unquote, store is lower than a traditional one, we're actually able to be quite competitive. And especially with um, some of the meats, I feel like we'll be, it'll be tough to beat us in some of those categories. And then from the produce, we'll be right on par. So you're not going to walk in and get any kind of sticker shock by any means. Uh, and I guess the idea through social media, you will keep your customers informed about where the truck goes, or is there certain routes that it follows every day, every week? Yeah, the idea is to dedicate a unit to a neighborhood so that it could frequent the neighborhood, and those neighborhoods would be connected to the program so that they would receive a text message when it is in their neighborhood, or if they wanted to be proactive and they wanted to go online and find out where one of those units were, they can do that as well. So you can trace them, track them, sorry, or you can be set up to be notified once they're on your street. And what's the uh, response been like? How long has this been in operation? It's brand new, and the story was just told today, and I can tell you right now that while I sit on this call with you, my phone is vibrating. I've received thousands of emails today, <laughs> thousands, and I'm not exaggerating. It is, uh, so where do, you see, like this. where do you see this fitting in, Frank, after COVID-19? Is this still a possibility? Is this a new niche that you found here? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, time is the most precious thing we have, and it always will be. And what we've done here is introduced a new level of convenience in the grocery space that I think will be hard for people to part with. Once you get the convenience of, you know, being able to just walk out your front door 
go on to the store and then you see the quality of goods that we have mixed with the great prices, I think it's going to be hard to, you know, want to veer away from it. Now, are we going to replace the everyday grocery shop? No, we're going to be an addition to it. And especially those moments where you don't know what's for dinner today and that yeah. stuff pulls up with these great meats, great produce, suddenly you have a lot of and, inspiration. And where do you get your product from, Frank? Are you affiliated with any grocery chain? Well, we're, we're part of a bunch of different, like it's local networks. Because we're brand new right now, we're in discussions with a bunch of these organizations that try and bring in the independent grocers. Um, but right now, we are completely independent, and we are in negotiations with figuring out what direction we want to go to as it relates to affiliates. Frank, this is an incredible idea, and kudos to you for uh, being nimble enough to make this all work in a short period of time. Uh, Frank Sinopoli has been with us, Grocery Neighbor. It's a tractor-trailer uh, grocery store on wheels, really. Frank, thanks for the time. Good luck with this. We'll be following you. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, thank you for your time. As always, hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Scott. Hope you and your family are too. We're trying. Uh, so we're looking at this poll in regard to Americans, and we certainly know that things can be a little bit more divisive down there than they are up here, certainly at the moment, and, and oh, maybe sure. even before all of this. Uh, but how do you how do you uh, square this circle where it appears, uh, due to a le- uh, this is coming from a Ledger poll, that Americans seem to be more trustworthy of Canadians than they do themselves? Yeah, well, we have to be a little bit careful as well. This is an online poll from... Uh, Leger and the Association right. of Canadian Studies, <clears throat> which doesn't mean it's inaccurate, but if you look at the history of polls, phone surveys tend to have a higher level of accuracy than online polls. But that being yeah. said, let's use it as an outlier. Um, it's kind of scary to look at these numbers where basically you see drops in trust for the United States, which according to a similar survey that was held last November, which I must admit I don't remember offhand, but I'll accept, um, it was apparently sitting around 58%, that being Canadians who trusted Americans. 58% is not great, but, you know, it's, it's above half. So, I mean, obviously, it, it's acceptable. Now, according to this new online poll, apparently it's now down to 33%. That's a drop of 25%, which is enormous. And apparently, in contrast, um, of respondents who are living in the United States so in, in other words, Americans, 71% said they trusted Canadians compared to 67% who expressed trust in their fellow citizens. So if this poll is accurate, Scott, and again, aside from what I said before, let's just take it as an outlier, what it seems to show is that Americans have a hell of a lot more faith in Canada than even some Canadians do of their own government, which is mm. kind of stunning in itself. And it also shows, unfortunately, that Canadians have lost a lot of faith in what Americans are talking about. And by this, they're not talking about the average American or even the average Canadian at this point. They're pointing more at leadership. Or in the case of the U.S., they're obviously looking at U.S. President Donald Trump, his daily press conferences, all the information that we gather from it, even if we're just reading about it or watching it on a daily basis. And you can just see that that level of trust no matter what sort of poll it is, online, phone survey, etc., it's dropped. That was my next question, Michael. Is this because there is a divisive leader, even during a time of crisis? 
Well, sure. And I mean, obviously, having a leader who is, whether you like Donald Trump or not, obviously, he is regarded as divisive by many people. That's part of the reason why last November, it would have it's been struggling to sort of hit above 50% and be at 58%. But as I said, if you're beyond half, it's at least acceptable, nothing else. I think what is happening is a lot of Canadians are either watching or reading the regular press conferences about COVID-19, that being the coronavirus pandemic, and they're seeing the interplay that occurs, where they see a U.S. president with, you know, occasionally making either critical comments or different comments from Dr. Anthony Fauci, for example, which I think is the best example. And, you know, obviously they hear media reports, none of which have come to fruition at this point or at this stage, that apparently Dr. Fauci is either being muzzled or is on his way out or is being fired. None of these things are happening. And interestingly, Donald Trump, the U.S. president, often has to come out and basically push them away as quick as he possibly can because he realizes that Dr. Fauci is trusted not only by a lot of Americans, but also by Canadians and people around the world. You're also looking at a U.S. president who has proposed or suggested certain things, including some drugs, which there are serious questions about in terms of whether they are viable or not to be used with COVID-19. Plus, we have the whole Clorox thing, which I think I think mm. blew most people's minds apart. And whether you believe that he was being serious in the questioning, kidding around, trying to sort of pry the media a little bit or sort of poke them a bit to see how they react, whatever the case may be, it was a top of a conversation that didn't need to be broached in the first place. It got an enormous amount of coverage in the U.S., Canada, and internationally, and it was just unnecessary to the point that you can understand when polls like Leger are taken. And they ask Americans, or at least they ask Canadians about what they're feeling in terms of the United States. You can see that that level of trust will have dropped only simply because we're not getting that sort of messaging from Canada. It's not perfect. It's imperfect in many ways. But it seems to be more on point from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to, say, Ontario Premier Doug Ford. We don't see that as much in the United States. We're not, not everything that's coming out of the U.S., by the way, is wrong. It's just that, unfortunately, it's mixed with so many other things that you can see why the level of trust has dropped. And you can also sort of understand Americans, whether they like Donald Trump or not, they're probably frustrated by the situation. They're watching the number of COVID-19 active cases and total dress, you know, skyrocket. And obviously, they just don't necessarily have that same faith they look at their neighbor to the north who seems to be handling things better, although obviously we have a smaller country with a smaller population, and they have more faith in what we're talking about. All right, Michael, I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on what Elizabeth May said uh, the other day in regard to Canada's oil industry. Now every, now, every expert I've talked to on the show for the last 15 years has said this is a 20 to 50 year transition, that the demand will be there for at least another 15 years. Yes. Um, and obviously, Elizabeth May came out the other day and said the industry is dead. To his credit, our prime minister stood right up and directly answered the question and said, no, he does not agree with her uh, in any way. But does is, is this irresponsible? Because to me, this does more harm to the movement uh, than it does help. It's incredibly irresponsible. And I'm glad you brought up that, uh, that topic from experts, because that's basically what I've read. The 20 to 50 year window is what I'm aware of in at least 15 years, if nothing else. Yes, Elizabeth May was acting irresponsibly. 
But she also knows that during this period of time, and you may have noticed it, the environmental movement is not really on the tip of everybody's tongues. Gosh, because there are other things to worry about. My goodness, I can actually go back into my store, Scott, and take plastic bags for free to pack my stuff Mm. if I want to take groceries and go home with it. Why? Because it's not relevant anymore. And quite frankly, it was never relevant in the first place. The whole thing was so silly that unfortunately people like Elizabeth May and other people who are associated with either green parties in Canada or elsewhere around the world or just the green movement are looking for anything to stick a feather in their cap and try to get some attention. This was so ridiculous. And for her to declare the oil industry is dead is not only absolute nonsense, it's incorrect, completely and utterly wrong, and just makes her, as you sort of insinuated, look incredibly foolish right now. And for the record, I'm happy that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came out and basically said, no, it's not dead, and he's not going to pay attention to this sort of nonsense. Not because ideologically I agree with him. I don't at all. I'm glad, though, to see that he's thinking in a more realistic fashion, which is what we hope that our political leaders are going to do, whether on the federal scene, provincial, municipal, etc. So Trudeau was right to condemn it, because Elizabeth May said something that was complete and utter nonsense, and it was only done to get attention on herself. Well, she got that and as well, for all the wrong reasons. And has and think of how COVID-19 has changed this discussion because we have brought consumption down yeah. with technology by staying at home. Whereas the extremists like Elizabeth May say, it's like World War all over again. It's, you know, we, we've got to go back and be like the Amish. We've got to move backwards. Here we're using technology and actually making lives better while we're lowering consumption why do these people not go after these sort of methods as opposed to we have to go back to the 1800s and all start riding horses again Uh, i like your comparison to the amish i've made it in the past i haven't done it in a number of years but you're absolutely right in many ways it actually does sound like that um or you know obviously the early quakers if you want to use another example the shakers it's an old argument her arguments are old they are they're old, and, well, you see, the, the problem is, and we don't obviously have enough time to do it, she's looking at certain things and claiming that they're outdated long before they are. Oil is not outdated. The oil industry is extremely important. Remember, and many of your listeners know a few weeks ago, when oil not only went down to zero, it went below zero for a number of days? That means you could actually, if you could find someone, you could physically, and you could physically cart some barrels of oil, they would pay you to do it. Now, in reality, it just meant that oil was completely worthless. But when the oil industry collapsed, guess what? The economies around the United States, Canada, and around the world were frightened by it. Not because they think oil is an irrelevant industry, because they realize how indelibly tied it is to our economy and how important it is. And obviously, in our country, Alberta, Saskatchewan, others, they know how crucial it is. Even if the oil sands are not being properly used to our benefit, they know how important oil is. So, yeah, it is kind of hard to believe that Elizabeth May and others are using this frustrating type of argument, and and, and one that's completely incorrect. But again, they're losing this battle right now. They need... I don't know. So they're throwing anything out. I think it's old-school environmentalism out of the 60s, man, and it just doesn't jive with uh, 2020 technology. Got to leave it there. Michael... Yeah, Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thank you so much. Be well. You too. Take care. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So I'm flipping through social media the other day, and you see all kinds of of images of artists. Uh, Tom Wilson's been doing a lot of this stuff as well, uh, and just you know playing a song or two for whatever reason during this time of COVID-19. So uh, all of a sudden, I find this. Uh, I, I think it was uh, uh, a lady named Brenda Passetto was her Facebook page. I could be wrong here, and there's this guy across the road and he's decked out in the Elvis wear and he's, he's COVID Elvis. And later with a little bit more uh, investigation, we find out it's the hel- uh, the helping hands tour of Hamilton 2020 food drive. Cameron Caton is with us now. He is COVID Elvis and he's with us now. Cameron, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, thank you for having me. I want to play just a little sample of what you do here, and this is off of Facebook, so it's not the best, but it'll give you an idea of what uh, what Cameron does. Listen to this. Cameron, I absolutely love this. How did this uh, How did this all come about? How did you get started doing this, Cameron? How did you, How long have you been an Elvis impersonator? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not actually an Elvis impersonator, and I just started doing Elvis in December of last year. So how did you come up with this idea to just go out and start going through neighborhoods? Well, I can tell you, I actually sing for a living in long term facilities, assistant living and retirement homes and whatnot. I've been doing that for 14 years. Oh, good for you. So naturally, um, shut out like most of us entertainers out there and... Um, so one particular uh, friend of mine that I sing in one of her secure uh, units at McCaster Lodge, it was her mother's 80th birthday. She, she sent me a message on Facebook, hey, what are you doing today? Uh, my mom had to have her party canceled. Would you, would you just come out and, you know, sing in their driveway and wish her a happy birthday? And I said, hey, you know what? Uh, 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 do one better. How about I dress up as Elvis? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where it started. And how many of these have you done? Where has the tour taken you, Cameron? Um, okay, so it, it's taken me to uh, uh, the house of Doug and Sonia Gilmore, you know, Maple Leaf. Yeah. I did a little... Wow, thing. that's pretty good. That was pretty cool. It got on Twitter and everything. It got a bunch of hits, and that was pretty cool. And then um, I guess it was one of her good girlfriends, uh, uh, Reno from Madison Avenue, had passed away, and her friend Sue was kind yeah. of in the dump. So could I yeah. come down? And she was going to pay a... A driveway social visit could have come down and just sing a couple of songs and cheer her up. So that's what I did. So what is the reaction in the neighborhood when all of a sudden uh, you break out onto the sidewalk in song? Um, it, it, it's pretty. I got some uh, videos on, on YouTube. I put a video up on YouTube. A, a lady who was standing on the corner uh, for about 45 minutes. I invited her up for a, you know, a social distance serenade. Um, it, it's pretty cool because I've also sang for Rick Campanelli and his wife, uh, Angie, E.T. Canada, Rick, on their mm-hmm. street. That's where the actual food donation started, kind of, with them and uh, Brenda. You said her her name right. Brenda's great. And uh, so I did some parties, you know, social distance driveways for her, and then I did another one out in wherever it is, out in Burlington. So that's that's basically how it all came about. And while you're doing this, you're, we should mention you're collecting food for the food bank as well. Yes. Um, so uh, the first two weeks, I dropped off, oh, probably three or more hundred pounds worth of food to uh, the Good Shepherd down on Cannon Street. Mm-hmm. And then this past Tuesday, 
uh, Graham Avenue South is where the last one I did was. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Sandy, and her husband, uh, Mark, they said, hey, would you come to our street after I'd done one in Burlington? I said, sure. Uh, I dropped off 222 pounds of non-perishable food uh, items, as well as collected $140 in monetary cash donations. So do you wait for someone to call you, Cameron, to go over to the neighborhood, or do you just drive around and say, I'm going to set up shop here? No, I've never done that, but that's an idea. Huh. Uh, no, I actually just wait for people to, to, to give me a give me a shout out and, uh, you know, hey, who, whomever wants, a, I call it the, uh, you know, the Elvis and Friends uh, uh, street serenade and food drive. So that was all part of it. And if I could just touch on one little thing, so if I could. Yeah, go ahead. I just heard a commercial right after the news break uh, about the, the women's shelters and whatnot. And ironically, I've had the wheels in my brain going round and round because they always do like the bus you know and in amongst those donations was a package that was put together of of women's essentials if you know what i'm saying yeah you know for 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 that kind of thing and i thought to myself and i've made mention to this to a few people uh that i'd like to add that to the tour and put together uh, care Mm. packages for women because i did also read an article about um, domestic violence being on the uprise, unfortunately, because of all the, mm-hmm. you know, and so when I saw that, it kind of hit me, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to add this to the tour, I'm going to take some of the money from the from the food drive that I put up in the cupboard, I call it the bank, and I would like to add that to this tour, and then make those kind of things and drop them off to the, um, you know, to the women's shelter. What a great idea, Cameron. So explain to people what this looks like. So you roll up in the van, you got the outfit, and then I guess the sound system inside the van? Well, yeah, I, 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 I sung with it in the van. I've driven around. Um, I sang this morning, actually, for the uh, uh, day stay people at uh, John Noble Home in, in Brantford. From mm-hmm. the van itself, dressed up as Elvis, and went live on their page for some of their clients. that is incredible wow now are you thinking now you know obviously as you mentioned cameron and we've had another singer on who who goes into the uh seniors homes and such and does something similar to what you're doing now obviously hopefully when the homes reopen and you can go back in i'm sure you'll continue with that but is this sort of another offshoot that you can keep doing i mean is this a niche uh entertainment vehicle that you've that you've realized here that you found well, I've got big plans for this, and I don't, I don't, I don't see myself um, stop doing this, or, 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 you know, I'm not just doing this because of the, the pandemic that we're all facing. I, I, with my own eyes, I've seen a big need, and 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 we're uh, too rich. We're kind of won the gene pool. We're we're in Canada, and we're too hmm. we're too we're too blessed for anybody to go to bed hungry. So this isn't going to end after the pandemic's done. I'm, I'm going to take this forward, and I, I got some plans and ideas with it, and so um, I would love to just keep doing what I'm doing, as well as go back now, to, the, to the homes. And, and who you're talking about, it's Paula. She's a great lady. She goes and sings. And, and, uh, like yeah, that. there you go. Yeah. Uh, now, if people want to book an appearance by uh, Elvis, what do they do? How do they go about doing this? Well, it's pretty simple. They can look up the, uh, the, um, they can look up the Facebook group. The COVID-19 Cameron singing from his van's helping hand tour of Hamilton, Ontario, 2020 food drive. I know it's a big mouthful, but they can look that up. They can email me at vocalentertainer at live.com. 
Or they can just look me up on Facebook. It's Cameron Michael Caton. Pretty simple. And what's the response when people are walking by or in the neighborhood and or even cars driving by? Because I was watching one video and a car drives by and you do the Elvis karate kick towards the car. I started howling. What's the response been like for you? Um, I get a lot of, I guess, like some people are like, is that guy really singing that? Because uh, one person called me uh, Elvis Buffett because I was singing a Jimmy Buffett song. Hey, Elvis Buffett, those are two of my favorite <laughs> So, you know, um, I will sing anything. I mean, I sing U2, I sing all kinds of music, So, like, I, because I sing in the retirement homes, but that's not all I do. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it's incredible, actually. And I am honestly overwhelmed at the generosity of, of the people um, walking up and just donating, and they're throwing cash in there. And I will, uh, if I can mention something, my good friend Donnie Lovering, Ruby Entertainment, he does a, a Ruby Pub trivia every Saturday night for the Ancaster food drive and he had a goal mm-hmm. of a thousand dollars and he was at nine hundred dollars and I give him a hundred bucks so he get to a thousand dollar goal but he does this every Saturday and he collects donations for the Ancaster food drive food bank Great idea. Cameron Caton has been with us. The COVID-19 Cameron singing from his van, Helping Hands Tour of Hamilton, Ontario, 2020 Food Drive. (laughs) That is a mouthful. It is, but I like that COVID Elvis. Yeah, I think you should go with COVID Elvis, man. I'm loving it. You know, just... You know, it's almost like the Hawaii thing all over again uh, here, Cameron. Yeah. Well, Cameron, congratulations for doing this. I know you brought a lot of joy to people, uh, certainly even those that are watching you from far away on social media. Good luck with this, Cameron, moving forward. And again, hit the Facebook page if you want to if you want to uh, book COVID Elvis. Thank you, Cameron. Good luck with all this. I appreciate it very much. And if I can just say thank you, baby. Thank you very much. That's perfect. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We were just talking with Cameron uh, Caton, uh, Caton, who... who I've dubbed COVID Elvis, uh, going around to various homes, uh, houses. He, he normally sings in seniors' homes. That's not happening. Uh, and, and just performing as Elvis, and people are giving him uh, stuff for the food bank and money and such. Ruth is with us now, and Ruth uh, was in one of those seniors' homes where Cameron would perform. Ruth, are you there? How you doing? I'm, I'm here, Scott, and I'm so thrilled that I happened to um, have your program on and listen to Cam. I've lived in a retirement home for nine years, and Cam has entertained numerous, numerous times here. And I, was, I just wanted to say that he is, he is not just a singer. He is an entertainer. He is funny. Um, he can do voices. He dances. Um, he just delights all of our residents here when he comes, and we miss him so much, and we can't wait for him to be back. And he just started this COVID-19 traveling thing very, very recently, <laughs> and I think it's interesting that you're calling him COVID Cam. <laughs> yeah, well, probably, COVID Elvis, but oh, COVID, but COVID Cam COVID is Elvis. even better. COVID, COVID Cam. Cam's good too. Oh yeah. So, are you? What are your thoughts on what he's doing on the streets I with think with? It's it, absolutely amazing yeah. some of the people if you go on his 
his website, he's got some videos. And, I mean, there's one that yeah. he did on a street, and there's a, an elderly couple um, dancing to one of his slower songs out in their driveway. And if it doesn't bring tears to your eyes, I don't know what hmm. will. It's beautiful. And he has got an amazing voice. He a, a beautiful, beautiful, as good as any of the popular singers that I've ever heard. Mm. He's beautiful, and he's a beautiful soul. He he is just I I couldn't I can't say enough wonderful things about him. And I, as I say, I was just so thrilled that I happened to have the radio on, and I heard you saying Cam Caton, and I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to listen to this. I think Cam is going to, the phone's going to be ringing off the hook after this. He's got a few bookings coming up this week. Ruth, we got to let you go here. Just want to hope that you're doing well. Are things good for you at the home right we, now? Yes, in our, our particular, well, I guess I can say the name of it because it's, it's Caroline Place Retirement Home. And mm-hmm. they were ahead of the curve on everything, and nobody has had any sign of anything in here. They're treating us wonderfully and looking after us. All right, Ruth. Well, thank you so much for calling and sharing the story with us. Uh, very much appreciated, and I'm sure it won't be long before uh, COVID Cam or COVID Elvis makes uh, an appearance again. You be well. Thanks, Scott. You too. All right, you take care. That is Ruth, who uh, a fan of COVID Cam or COVID Elvis. I don't know. I don't know which one you go with now. Uh, anyway, great to see that uh, people are doing this sort of thing during this time of uh, a pandemic. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, take me out to the ball game or not? Uh, a lot of us are craving sports during this time of COVID nineteen. They're talking about putting uh, teams back on or back in play. However. Do we want to go or just watch on TV? Let's bring in Dave Korzynski, Research Director at Angus Reid Institute, who did the poll. He is with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. No problem. Thank you. I'm sad that I missed COVID Elvis. I feel like I've, uh, I've missed out on Go it. on Facebook. It is pretty funny. He's got okay. the outfit and the whole nine yards right on the sidewalk there. All right, Dave, uh, we all want to see this because we're stuck at home, but do we necessarily want to participate? And what do we think about these teams that are taking safety into their hands by providing this entertainment. Yeah, well, the, there's there's a number of things in this, and and the first is that Canadians generally are missing sports quite a bit. You've got 60% of Canadians who say that they're missing the NHL, and that really spans across. You know, even people who don't follow sports, you've got uh, 20% of them who say that they're not really sports fans who say that they miss the NHL, which I thought was really interesting. And the the sentiment seems to be that. If we were to get games to come back, uh, a lot of people think that, that that would be great, even if there weren't anybody in the in the arena. Thirty-seven uh, percent of of more uh, avid sports fans say that that's great, and at least half among all of all Canadians say that you know it's better than nothing. So I think a lot of people, when they look at this, are just thinking, you know, they like having Hockey Night in Canada on in the background, even if they're not a big fan out in Ontario. Uh, Baseball is actually a big one uh, compared to the rest of the country, people wanting to watch Jays games. Um, but as you mentioned, the idea that they would go and, and see them live is a whole other story. Um, only 28% of Canadians say that they would be fine uh, without reservation going to a game. And we're talking in October or November if they were given a free ticket. Uh, so mm. a lot of hesitation about getting back into crowds, and that's really something that we've seen in all of our data, which is uh, people think that it's a little bit too soon to be trying to reopen everything and getting back to normal. 
and uh, you know expanding their groups to to beyond you know ten close friends or going to to gatherings of more than fifty people. A lot of hesitation there, but certainly a lot of support for getting sports back if it can be done safely. Uh, people are really on board with that and hoping that it happens in the in the near future. Uh, one of the options, are, or I guess the, the major option right now, is doing this without crowds. How do people feel about watching uh, the Leafs play or any other sport and the building's empty? Yeah, you know, for the most part, I, I think people are pretty comfortable with it. Um, there's there's a, a segment of the population that says that it's not really worth it, that's not something that would interest them, but it's only 12%. Um, and it's it's only 10% among people who are avid sports fans. It jumps up to 17 among people who don't really watch them that closely. Um, so it, that's that's a very small minority view. For 59% of Canadians, they say it's fine. It's it's better than than nothing. I think a lot of people would feel that it's quite awkward. There's there's a weird kind of energy that you get from watching empty arenas. We see this sometimes yeah. in the World Juniors when they're held in Europe. You'll see, you know. Canada playing Norway and there's only 70 people yeah. in the crowd. Um, it, it's kind of a strange energy, but I think people would kind of get used to it. And for 29%, maybe, they say, they say just bring them back. We're happy with whatever we can get. Maybe they can link all the crowd up virtually. So, you know, uh, you watch the game uh, on, on the screen without any crowd, but then, uh, you know, off your device, you're hearing everybody yelling and screaming like a big Zoom, uh, like a big Zoom call. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's an interesting thing to, to play around with. You know, people play games that have simulated crowd noise, and it's still it's yeah. somewhat exciting when you got a big goal horn and the crowd's going crazy. So I think there's some opportunities for creativity here. All right, Dave Krasinski's been with us, Research Director, Angus Reed Institute. Uh, many Canadians want sports back. However, attending in person, a completely different story. Dave, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Stay safe. Yeah, you too. No problem. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Thanks for the Scott. Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. What the hell do I normally say here? I'm losing my mind. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.